0: Turn on. Turn, on. Turn on. Tune, Tune in. in. Tune in. Wig, wig, out. wig out.
1: Get ready to rock radio.
0: At that time then, in the late 60s, and um, we're going to uh, revisit your black and white past, really, Martin, with uh, a track from the 1960s as, as we go along here. But um, going back to that period, I mean, you were playing in a an essentially blues rock-based style. And how did you find your guitar style developed within Jethro Tull? Because you developed it with albums like for instance benefit and then the classic aqualung but was this a natural progression at the time it became less bluesy perhaps a bit more what we might call um you know mainstream rock but you've always been um a trailblazer for progressive rock guitar i mean was this a natural progression for you really or were you responding to you know the members in the band the the time you know the the, uh, the musical times that type of thing
1: well, I never had an agenda musically, and, and and in the in the blues boom, where everybody was sitting down learning uh, Albert King, Freddie King, and B. B. King licks, I, I never wanted to do it because I just thought all these people were sort of a, a cheap imitation, and it was all rather pointless. So, and and I, I didn't like the blues that much either. Uh, I mean, I did a, a little bit. Um, so, so I, I just had my own style but my the things I listened to were quite diverse you know r and b soul uh classical rock everything and anything but 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 i didn't focus on only one style of music and and as a band i think we we, we were we were pretty well all the same you know we, we were fairly naive musically as I think all bands in the late sixties were, whether they admitted it or not so we we were, we were just young a bunch of young kids. Learning how to play, and and how learning how to develop our musicality, uh, techniques, just be- becoming musicians, and and we were learning this all in parallel. So that the, the four or five members of Jethro Tull were we were writing bits of music, Ian was writing songs, we were sitting down arranging them and recording them, and all the time developing as musicians and. So obviously we all sort of went in the same direction as a band but we, we were just sort of feeling our way and uh, there was no there wasn't an agenda like this year we're going to play uh, a more bluesy album but then the next one's going to be you know a bit more rock and roll it it just sort of went wherever it was going to take us
0: uh, really a reflection of the some of the, the band's parts i suppose it wasn't just um one person perhaps um although Ian Anderson's been a leading light since that period and I think at the time you were moving away I think that was one of the reasons perhaps you were recruited was that um you know Ian wanted to go in a more a less bluesy direction let's let's say
1: yeah he he yeah he he did I mean I wasn't aware of it but but but, but that that was that was Part of the reason, although he, when uh, the guitar players were auditioned for Jeff Help helping Mick Abrams' job, there were a lot of blues guitar players that Ian considered. So you know, I, I think whatever happened, he would have written that music. But, but it, it, it suited me that, that I didn't I didn't have to look at the music and play it in a style that I already had. And so I just sort of every piece of music we looked from fresh. Um, and it's been that way from uh, over the 40, 43 f- years, however long it is. But Jethro told you know, every time we do an album or we're sitting down arranging and learning music, it, it, it's just a, okay. you know, a, a, a blank canvas, which is a I hate the expression, but it, but it is the one that fits because it, we, we just just, um, you know, sort of very broad-minded.
0: You mentioned there the auditions for Jethro Tull I know there's the legendary story and perhaps you don't mind recounting it here Martin of how you were recruited by Ian Anderson I believe it was a maybe a London hotel you didn't have an amplifier or maybe you didn't have an amplifier lead and you were leaning up against um, you know, he was leaning up against your guitar to try and hear it <laughs> <laughs> Can you can you enlighten us? It's
1: part of the story It's a very <laughs> complex and long story Of how I joined Jethro Tull, and I'll try and briefly do it from beginning to end. But I was in a blues band called Gethsemane. I played flute. I played it in the Roland Kirk style, and so I knew about Ian and Jethro Tull, and he knew about me. And we did a gig in Plymouth where we finally met uh, and got on really well. We were chatting away, and then the next thing I know, they're looking for a guitar player. Um, and they remembered me but they they didn't know how to find me uh, eventually they traced me to this gig in London which was one of our we were about to split the band up anyway um, so I auditioned and uh, I mean the first time I didn't get the gig Tony Ione was offered it then that didn't quite work out so uh, we did another day audition, just me and, and, then, and then I got didn't actually get the job but they sort of said okay let's carry on from there and the next thing Ian said come round to my flat and bring a guitar. Now he lived on the fifth floor of a, of a sort of very skanky uh, block of flats in North London and so I, uh, checking up those stairs with an amplifier didn't sort of come to mind so I just took my electric guitar And that's why, and we just sat in this room, uh, I think we were learning nothing is easy. Uh, But of course you couldn't hear anything anybody was doing because there was no amps in there. That's that's how that story came about.
0: And then from there you you got the job, presumably. Did he tell you on the spot?
1: No, No? they they never said anything for weeks. It was (laughs) was never a word said. I I think they were all, it, it, it was very weird. Uh, In fact, they didn't talk to me very much. And I I think in the back of their minds that they were so used to having Mick Abrams around. uh, They probably weren't that 100% sure about me, but I know they weren't. And uh, it it was as if we were period, because we were doing gigs in England, where where the last time they'd seen the band, it was a blues band. And then suddenly he was Jethro Tull again, but he wasn't a blues guitar player. And they were doing these weird songs, which eventually would become stand-up. And, and a lot of them didn't like it, you know, that, that they, they sort of go, what's going on? What, what happened to the old blues band that we loved? So it, it was difficult for everybody. Uh, and, and there was just a, sort of a, a period where we had to m- make sure that, that they were accepting what we were doing, and, and, and they did. And, and, th- and then it sort of moved on into a more formal area of, yes, m- now maybe you are part of Jethro Tumpf. I think they, they left their options open for quite a long time.
0: I mean, was there any period in the band's history, you know, from the 70s through to the the end of the 90s, when you might have called it a bit more tricky in terms of the band's development? Um, we we've already mentioned that early 90s, maybe even slightly before that, Ian Anderson was finding it more difficult with his vocals. So I suppose you could say from a sort of band point of view, um, things were a bit more... Uh, difficult as you went forward, but um, in terms of the music business, has there been any time really, Martin, over that period that you've not struggled, but um, you'd say it was perhaps a dip in the the band's fortunes?
1: Well, I, I don't really think so because the, the, the touring that never diminished. You know, it it always stayed the same intensity, the same venues. I mean, certainly into the nineties. Uh, beginning of 2000 but um, I, th- I think m- musically you know, there are a couple of blips but, You know, passion play wasn't received as well as I think he deserved to be and uh, I, I, you know people you go in and out of favour, uh, one day everybody loves you, the next day it's fashionable to hate you it's, uh, but these are just sort of blips and, and really the, the majority of the fan base uh, just kept on going through all these ups and downs but I mean m- maybe the because there were trends and they obviously the trends were away from bands like us you know, the sort of prog touring bands did get a lot of stick in, in, a, in a in a couple of occasions and I know we had um, the record label sort of pressuring us to come up with a, a big album again and, and they said no, you've got to have a producer and they that sort have of said, you know, Fleetwood Mac have used this guy and had a monster album, and then um, whatever uh, Chicago or I don't, they had all these albums with with who had big production things going on, and, and they they wanted us to use a, a major producer, and and it was a disaster, an absolute disaster. We, we didn't want it, but they insisted, and um, and the album that came out it was Broadsword. Which, which I thought was a, always a very uncomfortable album, you know, it sort of didn't have a, a focus or a direction, uh, and it was it a was murder to make it. We went through so many studios and producers, uh, and, and in the end, all we wanted was somebody who was nice, who sat in the control room and said, OK, guys, we're going to have a cup of tea now. Uh, hey, let's stop for lunch. Um, you know, I, I like that. They didn't say much. They didn't have much input at all. But the ones who felt an obligation to input musically and artistically, just forget it. It didn't work with Death hotel because we've always known what we want to do and how to do it. Because we've done it more than any. But our experience is far greater than any A&R person or production
0: guru. <laughs> uh-huh there's a sort of an irony here because you, you grew up, um, as far as the band was concerned, in, in, in times of uh, great budgets, you know, record label, but that leads to pressure, like you say, for albums. And then more recently, bands have been able to wrestle back the control, haven't they, really? And probably for the last decade, Jethro Tull have very much done your own thing as you wanted to do, really, without that interference, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, it, it changed, I, I think that people didn't want to spend huge amounts of money on on bringing a producer i think they just recognized that that bands w- were able to to learn part of their trade was arranging and production i mean it is e- everybody it's the the whole deal of being a musician encompasses much more than actually playing an instrument you have to know about recording you have to know about songwriting about arranging other instruments, it, it, it's, uh, and, and it's really a lot of fun to do as well. You don't want to give any of that away to somebody else because um, it, it's a, a part of the whole experience of being a musician.
0: Yeah, and we should say also that Tull really bucked the trends. I mean, you kept... Abreast of musical trends and late 80s, of course, you uh, received that award for the the best hard rock heavy metal performance for Crest of a Knave, which was maybe a surprise to a lot of people, but nevertheless, it showed that you were still relevant.
1: Yeah, it was just an unfortunate category in my mind, you know, that we've never been a heavy metal band and and never will, but you know, we'll sort of hard rock occasionally, and, and I just think that they didn't really think too. Too hard about the uh, the name of the category, so it 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 brought about a slight disruption in 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 the fans of other bands, but uh, but really the 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 fact was that the people uh, in the industry thought we 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 deserve recognition and acknowledgement of that, and that was the Grammy, and 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 I think. I think we deserved it excuse me being a bit pompous but um i feel really good about it nobody can ever take it away and i think yeah you know it was a it was a good album and and we've put a lot into the music industry so we deserve a little nod a little pat on the back now and again this is radio for the internet age get ready to rock radio